Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages. Alright, this is um, episode 2 that we're recording today. We just finished up with episode 1. And again, if you guys are tuning in late, Moniker's got a seasonal job, so he is busy right now. And Blasphemous has family things going on. So we are just going to jump right into the roleplay topic for your tabletop enjoyment. And please don't mind the audio quality. We're not in our normal space because of the aforementioned things. Yes, yes. Uh, we're still uh, recording live from my apartment. <laughs> uh, so grandiose. So grandiose, yes. So, yes, there will be echoing and strange sound effects and... Periodic weirdness. Periodic weirdness because we are not in the studio proper uh, <laughs> due to the situation and reasons and stuff. And this week we were talking about... The one thing that we all bitch about in real life and forget about in-game, the weather. Yup. Or in short, in-game environment. So, uh, I already played the intro at the very beginning, because that's what I do now. Lazy editor, whoopty shit. (laughs) And, like I mentioned in last week's episode, this is something that actually I still fuck with. Um... Whoops, I forgot the weather. Just, whoops, I forgot the weather. Yeah, I still screw around and I I forget things. And I try to incorporate in-game. And the reason I bring this up is actually it makes the game better for the players. It really does. Like, the the description of the the weather is like, you know, we've all heard that it's a dark and stormy night. We've all heard that. Yeah, we've all heard that. But it really does set the tone if you can describe it and, like, bring that depth to the world. Uh, strangely enough, just the other day, the, you know, I was thinking, what are we going to talk about this week that we haven't already talked about? And it's actually kind of funny because we always talk about the weather in real life. You know, you always got the people who go out to the smoke shack or whatever, and they're like, ooh, the sun's out. What a great day. And then you got the people who don't like the sun, and they're like, screw this noise. <laughs> and then you got the people, you know, the snow bunnies who come out every winter, and they're like, yay, it's snowing. And then you got the other people who are like, fuck this weather. Um, it's too damn cold. How do you do this? Oh, it's too damn cold. It's like, I don't want to drive in this. It's like, screw driving. I'll walk home. I don't care if it's 10 miles. This is great. Uh, <laughs> so when you get into a game and you're playing and, you know, the players always have responded uh, with enthusiasm whenever I bring weather into the game. But then, uh, just like the games that I've been playing in the past and the games that I run, it kind of falls to the wayside in the background and we forget about the in-game environment. So when the players wake up, it, it's as easy as going, yeah, the weather's coming in, it seems to be south by southeast, and it's just a light breeze, just enough to, to make the, the tree branches move. That in itself helps set the environment for the characters are currently at. If you describe, oh yeah, you get up and it's drizzly and it's light rain, it's not much effort. And that's probably why we forget about it, is because it's so low effort and so low on the needful things to talk about. But uh, at the same time, it's very critical. It because, is. Yeah, like, absolutely. even a light drizzle is going to make, you know, a deer trail mucky, gross, and unless it's already in a rocky terrain, it's going to, you know, start 
being annoying to walk through that shit. Absolutely. The only times that I, I encounter weather really being anything worth anything is usually the fighter in his full plate <laughs> is trudging along. It. I was just thinking it, too. And the group happens to be, like, in a desert. Yeah, I could see that. Typically, the only times that weather is really mentioned in any real detail is either during naval combat or there's a knight and you're in a desert and everybody has to remind the knight that he's wearing shiny metal and desert. They don't really mix well. And, you know, how the hell are you not dying in that thing? We're dying out here and wearing light clothes. Yeah. Uh, they, and they do have rules for it. They talk about uh, weather, especially in 3-5, uh, Dungeon Master's Guide. They talk about weather in the Dungeon Master's Guide for Pathfinder. And 5e. And 5e. They talk about weather, actually, in Rifts, but it, Rifts weather is completely different than other weather. <laughs> raining jellyfish. Because it may be raining or it may be raining jellyfish. You don't know. <laughs> Rift's weather is awesome, though, because uh, the GM can just make anything up. You know, they, they can roll by a chart as to what happens. Like, a random rift can open up during a thunderstorm and a demon will pop out and just start waylaying everything. Or it can just be uh, slightly moldy bananas that fall out of the sky. It can be virtually anything. Like, no matter, like... I am having some thoughts as to what the next thunderstorm you guys are going to encounter will be. <laughs> I probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you're phrasing it that way. <laughs> Just this, saying. This concerns me. It should. As if, you know, raining man-o-war jellyfish wasn't scary enough. No, they were box jellyfish. Either way, highly, highly bad... Bad jellyfish. Absolutely, for us. and we always we, we do we tend to forget about environment a lot in our games, especially the weather, and like you mentioned, deer trails. Like, if I'm running a game and it's in a forested uh, scenario, and the group is traveling through, like in the standard D and D game, we forget about things like the trail is rocky, so it's actually going to slow your speed down. There's lots of roots in this underbrush. There's, There's lots of roots in the underbrush or the deer trails. Uh, do a lot of looping. So yeah, you're going to get your full 12 miles of marching out of your uh, character sheet by the rules. But in truth, you're only traveling 7 that day from point A to point B because of all the... Uh, wandering. All the wandering, you know, the, the, the corners that go in different directions and shit. Then you got to re-navigate your course. Uh, so we do forget about these environmental factors such as like trees and desert. M uh, mud. Mud. Mud, Mud is a bitch. Mud is beyond a bitch. All right, so story time. Okay. I've got a story this time. Oh, you have Woo! You know what? I have done so many story times. I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to drink my Mountain uh, Doom. Because we're not sponsored by them, so I won't say their name in uh, yeah. full context. Story time with Kazrakan. So when I was younger, I was in Scouts. One of the things we did was we went to the Philmont Scout Ranch. You can look them up. They're kind of a big deal for the Scouts in the States. Long story short, I was wearing something to the tune of a 45, 50-pound pack, and it had rained. And it's, you know, down in Arizona, New Mexico, Arizona area, right? So it's not exactly a uh, humid environment in the same way that Washington is. Right? Right. Well, you know... Lots of sun, brought lots of sunscreen, prepped a lot, did 
you know, we were smart about it, but at the same time, that's a 50-pound pack sitting on my shoulders and my waist, right? Because I had a knife pack. We wind up hiking. I think that day we were doing a 10-mile hike to get troop from point A to point B. We went... I was in the lead because I had the slowest pace and the heaviest pack. This was the policy that we were following. You know, the guy in the front moves the slowest so nobody, and nobody passes him so that the troop stays together and the fastest guy's in the back. Kind of sandwiching group. Yeah, it makes and sense. You keep your hiking group together. And it, you know, it had been sunny and it had rained. And let me tell you, lifting up my hiking boots and when they were sinking in almost to the bottom laces in mud, brick, splutch. Ah, there we go. There's our first table kick of the week. <laughs> brick, splutch, brick, splutch. Oh, a goddamn like. It was a pretty steep trail, but I don't think it was like heinously steep. It wasn't quite to the point of, like, crawling up the mountainside on hands and knees. But it was steep. Well, there we go. Mud can be a bitch. Now, that's oh. 50 pounds with all that weight distributed, you know, shoulders, waist, chest. Because that's the way we packed. How about plate mail? How about plate mail with chain mail and leather and cloth and cloth again? To layer all that. So that's like 70 pounds in just armor. And then you've got your, you know, five pound shield, two pound sword, plus whatever crap you're hiding on your back. You're, you've got like 120 pounds of gear, and you're trudging through mud, muck, murk, crap. I could see the fighters, unless they're dwarves, hating the living shit out of the rainy weather just as much as the sun. Oh yeah, absolutely. The... A lot of people do forget that, like, right now we're doing a Rifts game on the side, and it's not going to be as needful of a thing to talk about, because the armor you guys are wearing as standard-issue armor actually has built-in environment to it, so you just close the faceplate and hit a button on the side of your neck, and it'll keep you in at a nice, comfy 72 degrees inside the armor. That's great, so I don't have to tell you about environment inside the armor. Unless something comes up, uh, like right now, uh, you guys are talking about, you know, uh, removing your armor for less obvious armor because you guys are basically going into spy mission mode. And the armor that's going to be available that's not standard issue doesn't have built-in environment. So I would be able to, as a GM, go, oh yeah, well, now that you're not in that and you guys are in the Southwest United States, it is damn hot because right now it is midsummer in the game, which means you guys are edging up around the 100 to 110 degree mark on a daily basis. <laughs> it's not gonna be that frosty 72 degree environment that's so nice and happy if you guys get out of your armor, which eventually you're going to need to. I love how characters always live in their armor. I mean, it's only practical in certain situations and if the armor is designed to be lived in. Yeah, but everybody seems to like, I'm never getting out of my armor. And it's like, no, dude, you have to get out. You need to eat. You need to pee. You don't want bed sores. You and don't want to get a random infection from something rubbing up against the side of your leg. Uh, so, yeah, the environment is one of those things that's uh, constantly forgotten about, especially the weather. And 
for me, you know, I, I try to include this in. I, I do forget often, which is my mistake. However, you know, when I do bring it in, you know, people always seem to respond really well to just the basic things like, oh, the sun is setting and the sky takes on a nice orangish red glow this evening. Just, hey, that's pretty. We that, got a nice view. Yeah. Cool. Carry on. It takes no effort really to add just that little bit of flavor. Yeah, and on the player side, this goes too. Like, the GM says, you know, it's it's an overcast day and it smells a little bit like it might rain. Oh, great. It's going to rain today. I hate it. Or, or oh, good. Rain. That'll keep my allergies down. Or something, you know, yeah, some I, little zippy one-liner. Some zippy one-liner. The fun part, too, is like, the strange part is it's not necessary. It is absolutely, completely unnecessary to add these elements into the game. You, you don't have to talk about whether or not it's partly cloudy that day. It takes no effort. And it really doesn't add much to the game, but it still adds a lot to the game at the same time. Yeah, it's And like... the strange part is, it's kind of like cooking. Right? Yeah. You get your meat, you get your potatoes, and you get your greens, you put all three on the plate, you're ready to go. But there's no butter on your greens. There's no seasoning on your steak. And your potatoes have no bacon bits. It's still a meal in itself. It's still complete. So you still have your fighter, your major thief on your plate. Or you still have your dungeon, the quest, and your reasoning for uh, going into that dungeon on said quest. You still have all three of these things on your plate. However, there's no seasoning. Yeah, it's just not going to feel like it's... It'll be filling. It'll be filling. It might be fairly tasty, but it, it could be more. It could be more, exactly. So... When you talk about the weather or the environment, the deer trails, the smell of the forest, or the sound of machinery, whatever the case may be in the game setting you're running, I would think that this would be like the seasoning on the steak, the bacon bits on the potatoes. It doesn't, it's not necessary, but it definitely adds to the overall value of your meal. And with the exception of having actually having to make your own bacon bits, it's all that's pretty low effort. Yeah, it's all no effort. It's as easy as opening up the bacon bit shaker and going, shooka shooka, done. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, try making bacon bits on your own. It's it's a process. Um, my process is tiny hammer, a couple pieces of wood, some spare time, and a lot of anger. <laughs> anger makes the bacon bits crunchier. <laughs> my bacon bits are the crunchiest. <laughs> Couldn't even keep a straight face, could you? They're made with love. <laughs> uh. This this also, you know, this kind of does go in with like in-game foods too. Like now that we're thinking about it, because it's like, but yeah, d- if yeah, I bring up, you know, you go to a tavern and a ham is the the meal of the night. It's sort of a ham soup. That's completely irrelevant to the party unless they actually have in-character diets that they're trying to follow. Uh, well, Who yeah, knows? the same token, too. Like, That's one of those other areas of environment that's overlooked, too, is like the food. The characters go into the tavern, they're getting ready there, or they're getting ready to go on a quest, or they're finishing a quest, or they're planning for the quest, and somebody orders and the bartender says, oh, yeah, we've got ham, we've got mutton chops, and we've got plenty of sweet potatoes. Well, probably the best combination to go with that somebody would ask for, 
would be the ham with the sweet potatoes rather than uh, mutton chops with potatoes. So they would order that, they'd get it delivered. Done, fine, over. It's never talked about again. But then again, it takes zero effort for the GM to add in. Okay, your food arrives, it's, it's really hot, but you find one half of your sweet potato is cold. Or the ham, instead of being flavored with what you normally put on ham, which would probably be clove. Or honey. Or honey. Yeah, honey uh, ham is good. Somebody decided that rosemary and garlic would be a good complement to it. Weird flex, but okay. Yeah, that, that, just, <laughs> that would throw it off. Honestly. Like, so, you know, you get your hungry warrior meal, and you sit down after it's been freshly microwaved, you dig into your ham, and you're like, ham and garlic combined. I'm just imagining it now. Those are two flavors that should not be put together. It's so, one of those weird ones, yeah. Now I just want to make a soda called ham and garlic. Um, <laughs> sell that through the company that I wish I had, but... Oh, God, that'd be terrible. Anyway, <laughs> mm, bacon pomegranate soda. Two great flavors together at last. Uh, but yeah, that's, again, you know, the, the characters, they get their food, and that's it. That's the end of the story. It's like, oh, you got your food, your character eats, have a nice day. But it's like, nobody goes, oh, well, when you go to bite into your ham, you find a piece of it uh, not cooked all the way through. It was kind of a rush job. It was kind of a rush job. Or you find the wrong... You found the gristle. You found the gristle. Or, you know, your hammy's a bit stringy. You know, whatever, you know. And it, it doesn't add anything overall except to the environment to help flush out, you know, the surroundings. It, it makes the world live a little. Nobody goes... Yeah, it, may, it helps the world live a little. After all, like in a D&D game, the characters, you know, they usually go in the room, they go to bed, they fall asleep, that's it, done. GM says your characters wake up next morning and you go do your stuff. Or, you know, you, you woke up because someone was having a drunken argument three rooms down. Oh, they were not quiet. How many times has the rogue been told? And I've never seen this. Maybe somebody else has seen it in the game. But how many times has a GM just looked up, looked at the rogue or any other character at the table, the sorcerer or whatever, and said, your pillow is lumpy. <laughs> you got the room with the lumpy pillow. Right. It adds nothing to the game overall. It just adds to the environment that, yes, some days are not as good as others. But most of the time, it is a bland, flavorless meal that you just plow through to get to killing the dragon. Mmm, slop. Ooh, scented like lasagna. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> the, the best way I can summarize in a metaphor role-playing uh, without environment is oatmeal. Yeah. It does its job. It's nutritious. Not delicious. It's paste. You let it sit too long, it gets cold. It's terra bad. Uh, <laughs> right? Or, you know, it's, even if it's how you prepare it, like, we'll use oatmeal again. Yeah. When I put oatmeal, because I'm like, eh, this is nutritious, but let's throw protein powder in there. Just, you know, so that it's got a little bit of actual nutrition besides, right? And then some honey and Bob's your uncle, right? Yeah, and then I'm, Bob's your uncle. I, I ground up Bob, threw him in my oatmeal, called it all good. <laughs> Bob was delicious. <laughs> Don't care. But at the same time, though, it's like, if you were given the choice of oatmeal as it stands right out of the Quaker bin, or you get the instant oatmeal or that's like... Powdered. Well, not the powdered stuff. I'm talking like you get the, the single serving stuff and you get like multiple flavors of it. I'd say you get the um, apple cinnamon. Right. You get apple cinnamon and plain flavor oatmeal, both in packets, both single serving. 
They both have the same nutritional value for the most part. Which are you going to pick? I want to pick that apple cinnamon because yeah. it's something more than just yeah. basic oatmeal. I, I would figure 10 out of 10 people would pick the apple cinnamon over the plain. Unless the person who picks the plain wants to add their own like slices of banana to it or something like that. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But at the same point, if there's nothing else to choose from, just those two packets, that's it. I put these two on the table and say pick one, what you're going to eat. I would surmise a guess, 10 out of 10 people will go after the apple cinnamon. Okay, maybe 9.5 out of 10. It depends. Like You might no, have that I'm one person just... who says, I'm avoiding sugar. Um, or the other person who's like, it's all I've had for the last four months. I'm going with this one. Yeah. Uh, but that's the way I see it. And like... The role-playing game without the environment is the oatmeal in the plain packet. The oatmeal with environment is the stuff that has the apple cinnamon. And it's really not that much different in terms of, like, how much effort goes into making it. Yeah, how much effort goes into making it is pretty much negligible. Like, pour your water, boil it, microwave it, boil your water, pour it, stir, either way. Either way. Like... Even if, it, it's even if you don't like it near the end, at least, you know, the first few bites you enjoyed, you know, that mmm, first blast of cinnamon, mmm, apple. With that trying, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, <laughs> in, in short, though, you know, I, I think the listeners have caught on the metaphor more than well enough. I'm probably harping on the same rock here. Uh, pulling a Star Wars and whipping a dead horse. I'm just saying, it takes no effort. To just say, you know, oh, it's partly cloudy, or it's a little cooler today than it was yesterday. Yeah, and, you know, as a player, what you can do is you can ask, is like, what's the weather like? And you put the DM on the spot for a moment, and they're like, it's sunny, there's a light breeze. Going that way. Yeah, actually, (laughs) that is one of the most fun questions to ask a GM. Uh, On both sides of the scale, I will say... uh, Jack question usually comes way out of left field. I have heard some really fucked up questions from players. Duh. (laughs) And, like, somebody will be, like, walking through a city and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go rob a bank or whatever. You know, that hypothetical situation. Uh, Because I know my FBI agent's probably listening in. Thank you, my FBI agent, for being our number one subscriber. (laughs) Uh, We appreciate it. We appreciate it. I'm not robbing a bank in real life. I'm just saying, hypothetically, if I was playing a character in a role-playing game who wants to rob a bank... In that role-playing game. In that said role-playing game. (laughs) Normally, that player... God. (sighs) Sorry, Mr. FBI agent. I I was losing my voice there trying to explain myself. Please don't torture me. Um... (laughs) And can you unlock my iPhone, please? <laughs> There's an app I want, but my iPhone won't take it. Regardless, the pl- the player walks through. He's like casing the fucking bank, and you know I'm I'm sitting there as like the player playing this character, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna look here, I'm gonna look here, and just out of left field, I'll be like, I'll ask the GM, hey, how sunny is it out today? And they'll just be like, um, shit, it's midday, so fairly sunny. Be like, all right, cool. And then, like, vice versa, I found that happens to me as well. So I'll be sitting there, and I'm running a game, and a player will be like, How cloudy is it? What's the weather like? And I'll just be like, <laughs> Because it's so far on the list of things a GM thinks about. It's so far down on the fucking totem pole. <laughs> that when you do drop that question, it will fucking freeze their brain up for about 2.8 seconds while they're like, Dumb! It's, uh, space, it's space weather. 
what do you expect? You're looking outside the window of a spaceship. I yeah. mean, the weather inside is controlled, and the weather outside doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still funny, though, because it's so far down, and it's strange, though, considering how much it adds to the game's environment overall to say... Uh, it takes no effort to say, oh, the character's walking through a desert, and they, uh, the wind picks up for a moment and sends dust across their faces. Adds nothing. It, it's a momentary distraction. Like, the gust only lasts, like, five, ten seconds. Yeah, dust, it only lasts, dust. like, five, ten seconds. The wind picks up for a moment and dies down. But on the other hand, it's that bacon pomegranate soda. It just adds to the environment. And another thing is, if you're really bringing your world to life your NPCs are going to react to the weather, too. You are going to get peasants who are bitching and moaning that it's too sunny, who are bitching and moaning that it's too wind, too wet, too windy, too whatever, and that's just ambient conversation that you can be like... Absolutely. Like, so what's going on? Well, I mean, there's three or four peasants over there bitching about the weather. There's, you know, five or six over there that are salty over the suit, the food. Like, they... They're feeling like they could make better than the cook did, or you know, and it, it's it's these little tidbits, and it's just ambience. It is the ambience definitely adds to the game. Is um, and speaking of NPCs, and I remember the response I got uh, from the player character because they thought something was up, <laughs> and you were there for that. Um, so the player characters are watching basically shit go down in a village. It's pretty typical. I can't remember the exact scenario off the top of my head. But it was something I came up with like a week in advance. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring this in game because it's going to throw the players completely through a loop. They will not Please. know what to fucking do. And this was back when uh, Narciss was gaming with us. And he's standing in the group of people who are watching shit go down. It's like the town criers uh, yelling out and whatnot. And next thing he knows, somebody is tugging on his tunic. And he looks down to see like a small child who's like maybe nine years old, human female... And she, like, looks up at him like, I can't find mommy. <laughs> so random NPC child does child stuff. Gets lost. Gets lost in a crowd. And, and look, there's a there's a taller person. <clears throat> can't find my mommy. Can you help me? Exactly. That was it. And, like, <laughs> the look on his face is he thought, like, I was going to have the child split in half and turn into a hydra and eat his beard and stuff. <laughs> so it took him a moment to, like... I think he did actually like do a couple of sense motive rolls and shit I think before he, did he figured too. out that actually it was a human child who just got lost and did human stuff. Yeah, and uh, I've had that happen on a different occasion. It was a little one-off way back in high school, right? Yeah, oh, that, that was a long time ago. So shit. <laughs> anyway. Keep going, little kid. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, and the, the storyteller... Uh, you know, just as like little girl, I'm playing, I think, a dwarf character or something like this. And he just has this little girl goes come up to me and go, why do you look funny? <laughs> and it's, Absolutely. And, 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 and like, at, at the time, my first reaction was not, the DM is doing something mad. You know, I was newer to gaming at the time. So I was like, have you never seen a dwarf before? I, I just look like this. <laughs> like, it's just me, dude. <laughs> What's up, kiddo? <laughs> Slightly confused, you know, adventurer dwarves. Like, this is normal. Am I really the first dwarf you've met? You know, it's just sort of that, that pleasantly taken aback. Because it's, it's a harmless interaction. 
but it's it's real. Like not every child is going to know about orcs or dwarves or manticore or people or whoever, right? Or whatever the fuck, yeah. You know, insert the way- ra- what are they now? Insert random ancestry. Yeah, yeah, basically. Whatever their, you know, their heritage comes from is like... Or should I say, insert random race? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And, and, I mean, know. if we really wanted to be, like, fully on board, it would be different species, but whatever. Hashtag not all orcs. Yeah, right. Uh, At the same token, it's, it's like, um, you know, you get the... the the cat folk, right? Yeah, whatever they're called, the um, furries, the t- tabaxi, furries, cat people, whatever, right? And you know, you can, you're gonna get kids who who walk up and, and be like, "Whoa, you're fuzzy," and, and you know they'll point out something that's deliriously simple for a kid to be amazed by, and, and the cat's like, "I'm sorry, what?" Sorry, what? <laughs> or, no, please don't pull on my tail. That is actually attached. Actually, one of the things about NPCs bringing it up, and it does add to the whole environment and weather portion, and it's, it happens very rarely that an NPC, and I've done this from time to time, because player characters are typically big, scary people with large weapons and shitloads of armor, and normally by the time they're level 10, they decide that they're going to not walk again, but instead float everywhere they go while being followed by a multicolored rainbow of floating stones that shoot laser beams. <laughs> but before the character gets to that point of basically becoming a demigod, it is actually really rare, and it does add to the environment, is having NPCs walk up and just, hey, um, I got this note here. It's supposed to be, I'm supposed to be on Weatherby Lane. Is it behind you? I've already searched that half of town. Nobody ever walks up and just asks the, the characters for directions. Or uh, <laughs> as they're walking along, they see some old man, you know, sitting on the porch whittling. Or, right. You know, who asks them, you know, hey, where are you from? Or anything. The, the NPCs rarely <clears throat> and, seek uh, inter- interaction with <clears throat> the characters. Yeah. It's, At least not on, like, a benign just being social level. Yeah. It's, it's usually the NPCs react to the players. The players are the ones who go out and ask NPCs questions. But it's really rare that an NPC will walk up to a player character and be like, hey, man, gas smoke. Right? Or, um... Hey, dude, I noticed you have, like, armor. Is, is there a place I can find some around here? I'm kind of looking. And, and you, you know, adventurer to be, right? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's just definitely in a city adventure. That would happen. is like somebody would walk up to the player character and be like, did you buy that here in town? How much did that set you back? Right, and that they're you know they're fishing for information. It's like, well, why do you want to know? Well, I want to go adventuring at some point. I want to know how much I need to save. Them. No, I'm looking at becoming a mercenary. You know, help out on the family farm, whatever. Yeah, it's really rare that NPCs will come up and interact. And this is the same thing as the weather. It's very rare that the weather will just like spontaneously out of the GM's mouth. It's partly cloudy, or spontaneously the GM will say, X Y Z situation has. Which is completely unrelated to what the player characters are doing. Right. It's basically or... the world still turns whether or not the player characters are there or not. Right. And it's <clears throat> also, you know, what you can do with this is you can be creative about it. Is like you've got your aspiring adventurer. He's asking, he's poking questions to the fighters. It's like, this dude's in fucking half play. 
It's not full plate, but it's half plate, and that's a damn sight better than, you know, cloth. It's a damn sight better than a bowl and a pair of chopsticks. Give me a half a plate. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like, so how, how do you deal with, like, hot weather? Right? I've heard tell from other adventurers that it's like this big nasty thing when you're in armor. It's hot, it's sweaty, and while well, it's better for in the cold, that shit freezes on you. And how do you deal with it? Yeah, there are. There's actually uh, several. There, there's actually a really good guy on YouTube who has a full suit of armor, and he does not like cold weather. <laughs> and the other guy, uh, I know Sinister certainly doesn't. Yeah, because, uh, like, it just cuts right through the armor. Oh, yeah, wind, it does. The wind will just, oh, now your metal is cold. And now you're cold. And it's right up against you. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah, there's, a, there's a guy who has a full suit of armor, uh, full plate. Uh, he's a, mid, a medieval re- uh, reenactor mm. and historian and stuff. And he's got a YouTube video that explores medieval times like that. He took his horse out. Uh, riding while in full armor, and he fucking despised it. Oh God, I imagine. Oh like, yeah, bumping he... and the the rattling and the loud noise. Like no, your... it wasn't the noise; it was the cold. I believe it. Like, like it fucking fact. just soaked right into him. And like the only thing he had to help keep him warm was the cloak that he wears over the armor. And even that wasn't enough. Yeah. Because once that armor started getting chilled, he was like, fuck this, I'm going back inside, video is over. And that's one thing that, um, it's another environmental thing that we as GMs and myself, I include myself in this deal, we forget about is that, you know, when somebody is out, the fighter especially in full plate armor, cold weather and hot weather are not his friends. We We all already know water's not his friend. Well, what does cold weather do? It causes the entire suit of armor to cold. It, it basically and if you were splitting, that might just freeze to you. Well, the um, the armor actually will like bleed the heat right out of your skin, basically. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, just, it's like a magnet for heat, and once you're exposed to the cold, it'll suck it out. But the problem is, uh, especially with shiny armor, uh, when you go out into a desert environment, it has a tendency to create heat pockets inside of it. Because the heat is reflecting against the metal back towards you. You get like this little bounce where it's going under one plate and bouncing off the inside of that plate, and now it's on you. Yeah, so it's basically the heat's bouncing back forward between the uh, outer shell of the armor and your skin. Uh, so you're having a hard time in hot weather, too, because since the density of the metal won't just allow heat to sift out, it's air. Metal is more dense, it's, it's basic science. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it is another environmental thing, though, still. And, and like, just a, a, like a horse ride. Let's, let's say the characters are out, you're doing a, a D&D game, or you're doing a medieval game, or even cowboys, right? Something that involves horses, and you go for a ride for eight hours. You're, like, trekking down the bad guy. It's eight hours ride, pouring rain the whole time. Oh, Oh, that, that would be wretched. That would be wretched, miserable. And can you, and one of the parts that comes with rain is like the GM could randomly roll dice at any moment For until any player number three at the table that the rain has soaked through their jacket and now the the cloth. Uh, say they're wearing cotton pantaloons, the cloth is actually gripping their skin as they ride. 
which means you're going to have cloth burns by the time you get to where you're going, even though it's it's wet, because your skin keeps getting tugged on by the material as the horse runs. And that's just environmental. It really adds nothing to the game. It's and not... that's, that's like a moderately light rain. That's not really like a heavy downpour typhoon rain. Yeah, your clothes, just... clothes sticking to the body is like... Ugh, during rainstorms. Ugh, hey, that's that's how you get hypothermia in warm weather. Well, it's not just that; it's just just the way your clothes stick to your body when you're trying to move. Like, it's no fun. It's like when I, when I was a kid, you know, we had a, a creek out behind the house, and I jumped in the creek wearing my pants. It's hot outside, and I just didn't want to go change or any of that, so I just jumped right in wearing all my clothes except for my shoes because I'm a kid; I can do that. <laughs> and when I got out, I went to go pick something up, and like uh, my pants actually were sticking to my legs, and I could actually feel like the the cloth grip my legs, and it felt like for a moment there because I I was really mindless in the situation, and I got like halfway down stooping before like the skin on the top of my legs was going the wrong direction. I'm like fuck, and this is like it adds nothing to the experience of my life. It's purely environmental. All it all I had to do was stand back up. And adjust my pants and then hold the top so that they wouldn't grip my skin and then bend down and pick up what I was going for. Adds nothing. It would. There's no. If my life was a role playing game, there would have been no skill checks involved. At all. At Everybody all. can do it. It's, it's one of those things. It's like. It was no three, matter what era, era, you're always going to be able to understand wet clothes stick. Yeah, wet clothes stick. Plus, uh, of course, if we're talking about wet clothes, then there's other environmental hazards that can come into it, especially if you're in like a forest environment uh, or anywhere really not tropical shit. The zone between tropical and arctic. God damn it. Temperate? Temperate zone. Pretty much anywhere in a temperate zone. Wet clothes can cause a problem. And in a tropical, even worse. Oh, yeah. Uh, tropical, even worse, but in temperate zones, uh, yeah, not so much unless they're in the lower, uh, but in tropical, definitely really bad, is wearing wet clothes for extended durations can cause things like fungus. Yep. And, like, fungus, mold. Fighter in full plate in the tropics. With, you know, because a set of full plate also is, like, a shirt. Some it's chainmail. It's actually shirt, it's fairly then the plate. Yeah. <laughs> like that's four layers of crap. Well, it's of not... which two layers are cloth. Well, so that, that if it gets wet, you know, cuz like in your tropics like sweltering jungle or whatever, the steam that builds up between like just say uh your leg plates and you know, you're wearing cloth underneath that, it's not going to be venting moisture very well. That is a perfect bacteria culture getting ready to grow in your crotch. Even if it's not at your crotch, it certainly will become there. Suck that up, Mr. Paladin. You've got the crotch swamp. <laughs> yeah, environment can add a lot. And like I said, you know, if my life was a role-playing game, that three seconds of my life, no skill checks, adds nothing overall to my life. But it was an encounter I had, something I did only one time. <laughs> you learned your lesson. I learned my lesson, but overall it added nothing. Yeah. If this was a role-playing game, the GM said, hey, as you go to pick up your shoes, your pants stick, and they're tucking on your legs actually very uncomfortably. And I, as a player, would just be like, oh, I stand back up and adjust. That's it. Encounter over. Yeah. 
and it's funny that such a little detail can bring so much it's you know it's, it's like using seasonings like we were talking about with yeah. the analogy and it's it's a perfect analogy because a little bit of seasoning is great a lot of seasoning and you've overpowered the flavor of the rest of it yeah this uh, okay yeah actually let's get into that for a moment because the overdoing things is actually just as actually it's more detrimental than not adding seasoning at all uh, we all know this trope. We all know this joke. The GM stands up. He's introducing the game. He's introducing the world and its lore. And he basically whips out like a 30-page booklet. Thump. Or at least it feels like that. You know, like a uh, random character asks the, um, the, the the bartender. He goes, hey, barkeep, you know, what's the political structure going on recently? And the barkeep says, well, it all began in my grandpappy's time with Tibernius II, who begat Tibernius III, his son, who was a complete fuckwit, who ran the kingdom into the ground. And then you're just like, dude, I said currently, right? But, like, you know, the GM has so much world lore and stuff, and he's, and he's really invested. And I appreciate an invested GM. I really do. I really appreciate a GM who's put a lot of thought into his world. I really do. There's two huge detriments of this, though. Is number one, as far as being a player, you can't really buck the curve because the GM is so invested in this world that if you do anything to damage it, you're damaging the GM's ego and your character will fucking die. <laughs> and number two, it is boring as fuck. It's just too much. It's it's lost in the minutia. It is. It's, it's lost in the minutia. It's like... If I'm using cinnamon and sugar, right? Cinnamon and sugar, they go pretty well. It's a very sweet thing, mostly. They go very, fairly well together. Throw some butter butter on toast, throw some of that stuff on, you've got yourself a tasty meal. Cinnamon toast crunch bread! It, it, Yummy! It really does work that way. But at the same token, like, if I slap too much cinnamon in there, you know, too much of that detail, like, I'm not going to be able to taste anything else. At all. Absolutely. And that's that's the fine line that you have to figure. Like, as a GM, you have to figure out where that sweet spot is, where it's just the right flavor for cinnamon sugar, and not the flavor of just sugar, and not the flavor of just cinnamon. Yeah, I guess, and to bring us back full circle to the very beginning, you know, the players... You know, they get up out of bed, they, they're breaking down camp, and the GM says, oh, well, you know, it's... Slight, it's partly cloudy today. The sun's reaching over the horizon. There's a slight layer of dew on the plants. The air is moving slow, but just quick enough that you can smell the bark of the trees nearby. And it goes on in great detail about what the weather is. People aren't really going to care about the weather for very long because it's just too much. If every time they break camp, they have to hear a five-minute dialogue as to what the weather seems like it'll be for the rest of the day... It'll, I mean, get, it'll get boring real quick. It'll be too much. Lost in the minutia. And, and at that point, it'd be like, okay, so cloudy, overcast, dew. Got it. Moving on. Yeah, cloudy, like, overcast, dew. Boom. Straight to the basics. Yeah, and it's, you know, you lose a lot of that sort of heft to it. It's fantastic if you're writing a book. Because oh, you yeah, need to absolutely. be able to evoke that image on paper, on ink, without being present. Or it is even... not good when you are present. The, the, well, the only time I could see getting that in detail about something as simple as the weather 
uh, in a role-play game if the GM is intentionally uh, hiding clues. Mm, uh, you okay. know, like if, if he's doing the opening dialogue before a game begins, he's setting the scene as to what the powers that be are like, what the uh, local environment is like, you know, what the people are like, because weather will play into like their dress and clothing and stuff like that. Right. And they go into this long-winded diatribe about like that morning's weather as the player characters come into town for the first time to get hired by whatever person to do whatever task. And if GM is specifically going out of his way to hide clues in there, like if he mentions two clouds that seem to be crashing together, that could be like a subtle hint as to where the storyline is going. So, you know, a little bit of foreshadowing in the weather report. Uh, that's the only time I could see like getting that in depth. Yeah, and at, at that point, you're having to play one, the fine line of how much detail is too much detail, and two, where you're dropping hints. So you're having to play two very different fine lines to get that narrow hairpin point. Absolutely. Mad props if you can do that every time. But god damn, is that a feat unto itself. Yeah, this, this, and like I said, dude, this is the uh, kind of thing I was thinking about the other day because I got up super early and I'm like, shit, I want food. I'm going to run down to the corner market, get me some food. I, I bounce out my door and of course it's been hot as balls the last couple of months <laughs> and I thought it was nice and cool in here until I walked outside and I realized it was way cooler outside. I get to the bottom of the stairs and I start my merry way and I notice it's drizzling. And that's where the topic hit me for, to, for, the, for this episode, right? Because I'm walking through the drizzle to the corner market, and I'm like, how many times have I exited a building thinking the weather was one thing and it's another? How many times has the GM told me it's slightly drizzling, and you might be actually, by the time you get back into your house, it might be raining, or you just might be ready to get a peel out of the clothes because they're too wet. This rarely ever happens. So I was like, we need to talk about the weather. Yeah, and this the same phenomenon, right? We can we can bring that up. Um, interior versus exterior, especially as you start getting into magically cooled environments or uh, you know technology or AC, right? Oh, it, it, like if you're if you're in a building absolutely. and it's fairly comfortable, and then you walk out the door, woof! There's that heat wave. Everyone's yeah, like the first time I went to fucking Arizona, never again. Yeah, exactly. But also on the inside, you know, it's really rare. You know, like the player characters. Let's we're gonna go back to the basics here, the basic D and D setting. The players walk into the local tavern. That's it. They walk in. They can expect tables, food, and a certainly barkeep, and maybe a band if they're and if maybe a, a band if it's a sizable one. But the one of the things that never gets added to it, like, oh, as you walk into the tavern, well, okay, maybe it does get added in. I've just never encountered this all. I'll, I'll renege on the whole it never happens part. But possibly in somebody else's game, not mine, I have yet to walk into a tavern in game and the gym goes, you're greeted with the smell of burnt pine. Okay, well, obviously, if I'm going into a place with burnt pine, they're fast growing trees, they burn hot. And they're really great for winter because they um, they age really well. Yeah. yeah. So if I walk into a, a tavern, I'm going to expect it to be cold outside very often. 
If I walk into a place and the GM says you smell uh, basically pine that's freshly burnt. If I my character glances over towards the fireplace and notices it's full of ashes, okay, I'm going to consider it's probably cold at night, or at least these guys are preparing for winter, or they just haven't cleaned shit out. Which is equally possible in equally all three possible, directions. But it still adds to the environment that I'm walking into a place that uses their fireplace often. Or if I walk into a place and the GM says, oh yeah, you walk into the tavern, and even though they have uh, stuck, with, on the inside they got stucco walls, but there's a uh, yellowish film that's kind of streaked to it, and like, okay, so our characters are in the mountains, and they're streaking, and you know, if I rub my finger on it, it'll feel kind of tacky. Alright, so maybe a lot of smoking goes on in here. Yeah, because again, D&D, pipe tobacco is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And on a white stucco wall, that stuff would show up real quick in a tavern environment where people are smoking constantly and drinking and eating. Yeah. And then, of course, you're always also going to get people spilling things. So it's like, as you sit down to the table, you notice that there's a small beer stain. Yeah, or like, you know, as you're walking to your table, there's a sticky spot on the floor. Yeah. Or um, as you enter the, the tavern, you can smell some of the... And, and then you list off several spices because you... The kitchen door is right next to the front door to the building. So you smell it as you walk in. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. Usually that's one of the first things you smell when you walk into a restaurant, especially even now. Uh, and it adds to the environment. You're like, uh, if you're doing a modern day, you know, as the characters enter into the Mafia Don's uh, back kitchen area, the smell of bleach permeates the air. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, or, like, we'll use one of the local... Uh, branches of the restaurant, uh, Five Guys. I walk into a Five Guys, I smell the peanut oil that they use to make their fries. I smell potatoes. <laughs> and the potatoes. And the so potatoes, yeah. Like, so, like, it, it's sort of its own smell is that particular combo. But I walk into a Five Guys, I smell that every time. Absolutely. Every place has its own particular smell. And it could be from a number of things. Like, like the scenario I was just giving, you know, it could be from the fact that the Mafia Don's restaurant you walk into uses... A copious amount of bleach, because he's not necessarily known as a forgiving guy. Or maybe the smell of bleach is because the dishwasher is working overtime. Right. And, yeah, it's pretty good either way. Or at least a pretty good explanation. It's a pretty good explanation. It still adds to the environment, even though it adds nothing to the game. You just walk in, and it could be the dishwasher is working overtime. It has absolutely no relevance to the players whatsoever. At that moment, it is nothing but environment. It's basically the weather. There's a guy who just happens to be working, and it has no bearing on the players whatsoever. And, you know, since we're talking about the senses, taste. Certain environments will have a taste in the air. Restaurants that have particularly fragrant foods, mostly. I'm sorry, I was just thinking about a handful of dirty pennies. Uh Uh-huh. I know what you're thinking about. But... Like, hey, next time a player pisses me off, they're going to have that flavor in their mouth. I'll just hand them a bunch of pennies and be like, put these in your mouth. <laughs> now let me describe what these pennies taste like. Yeah, and... <laughs> Gross. So there's, you know, there is that. And you can also, like, you walk in on something eating a fresh meal, you know, still bleeding corpse. You know, wolves took down a deer, you scared them off, now you've got deer. 
sometimes like that smell is thick enough in the air that it gets in your like your mouth and you taste it even though it's just there. yeah it's like those, those are like really strong ones too like i would use those sparingly but like yeah given the situation you were just explaining you know like the characters find the corpse being eaten by wolves and it's so fresh that not only do they smell the coppery scent in the air it's also like on the tip of their tongue yeah it again you know the sense of taste is a really it's something that GMs should use with specific intent and, you know, like, use it right every time or don't use it. If you're going to, it, it, it is one of, it's like, the sense of taste is exactly like that. It's like, either, you know, like, we're going on about meals. You talked about the rosemary and garlic ham. Yeah. Right? Someone, yeah. May, someone may find that delicious. It may be a local delicacy, right? In that culture. True. At the same token, it could also be someone just fucked up which herbs to grab. They were in a hurry that night. They grabbed the one that was said white powder on the label. Exactly. So, you know, they could have been thinking salt, and they grabbed garlic salt. You know, it yes. would be a very big difference in taste. But for the players, it would not make a big difference. So you can, if you have, you know, the background to sort of provide for that information, you can be like, what is, the player can be, what does my food taste like? Well, it tastes like, well, it's got this, this, and this, so it probably tastes sort of sweet or, you know, sort of savory. Savory. Right? And I think... Like you, you bite was... into your potato and it's juicy. <laughs> Weird flex. <laughs> a juicy, a juicy potato. It depends on what you're doing with it. Like um, oiled, salted fingerling potatoes are fantastic, and they're a little bit juicy because they're basically just soaking in the oil that they're cooked in. Yeah. So it it can be done, and it can be done very well. It's just it's one of those things that most people don't think about. Absolutely. Yeah. It's. Again, that's the point of this uh, episode, though, is for us as GMs to discuss this. I mean, yeah, we've made our mistakes and whatever. So this isn't us exactly giving advice. This isn't me exactly giving advice. More as a reminder to myself and other GMs that we should include more ambience into our game. Uh, environment is really important, and every time I've used environment, like I said... It's been met pretty thrillingly. Yeah, the, the response, you know, like... Shit, I recall one game where I mentioned, you know, there was a slight breeze and it was a little chill. And one of the players just looked up and were like, cool. <laughs> you know, just, it had nothing to the game. I was just like, oh, yeah, there's a slight breeze. But it, it gave a hint to the players, you know, maybe today you know, I'm wearing my thick shirt. I'm going to put on the turtleneck instead of the V-top. Whatever. Yeah. And, you know, uh, another one, like, it, especially with the horror thing, right? You set us against a skinwalker that downed our helicopter. Or had assistance help downing our helicopter and was now hungry because well, the, loud crash. Hey, look, food. You guys haven't figured out the whole Skinwalker thing, but keep going. But, but what you did after we made the decision to hunker down and wait for dawn was like little scratching sounds. Like it's, you know, trying to get in. It's moving all around. It's stepping on your helicopter as you're trying to get in. Little scratch marks yeah, all I, over the metal. Yeah, I did and, add that in because I could have gone two routes at that moment. Mm-hmm. And route one is you guys go inside, you hunker down, and I just say weird noises. Done. Sun rises. 
that doesn't add very much to the whole story. Doesn't add the creepy factor. Which is exactly why I'm bringing it up, yeah. by the way. Carry on. Absolutely. But when you guys get out in the morning after hearing scratching noises and seeing shadows move by the front window and the sound of footsteps underneath the uh, helicopter uh, across the uh, belly of it, and then you get out and there's still bleeding handprints all over the helicopter. That Going over that, I tried not to be too long about it, but it, was, it still added in that the entire night while you guys were hunkering down, weird shit was going to be happening whether you were inside or outside or not. Yeah, and, you know, it, like, he gave it to us with, like, four sentences, and that was just, like, tag, 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 done. Yeah, I did the bullet points real quick that shit was creepy outside and uh, made it known that at no point during that night did you feel safe leaving the confines of the helicopter, that there was something out there that was actively bad hunting news. you guys. Bad news. Capital B, capital N. Capital bad news. And it worked. Especially, like, from our NPC side and from the PC side. It's like, I don't want to fight that thing. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No. Stay put. Stay put. And, of course, it freaked out uh, the heavy weapons specialist when he took a shot at it. <laughs> and the pair of eyes decided to go in different directions. Yeah? That's not normal. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Hard no. I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, you take a shot at it and you see the eyes, like, blink and then run away. That would have been normal, but to see one eye go left and one eye go right and just keep on going until you can't see either one of them is not normal. So that's why I added that little slice of environment in. It, it worked. He definitely got that ah uh, hell no response. Ah uh, hell no. <laughs> so that's, yeah. Um, Which, you know, I feel kind of proud of us that we only learned one shot to learn that and then basically just decided to buckle down. I think you guys were kind of following my lead at that point because I was kind of, you know, stringing you back into the helicopter myself. But, well, yeah, we had NPCs that were going with it. But at the same token, it's like... I don't want to kill the party this early. Well, yeah, at, at this point, it's like, one, he probably doesn't want to kill us with this creature. This is a containment tool. Yeah. But I'm, at the same token, he gave us free agency, like... Our, you know, our... Oh, you guys could have fought it, and it would have been a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, like, that was what I was getting to, is like, he gave the GM, the, the DM, the NPC, just dropped, this is bad news, boss. And what, then proceeded to went to go around locking all the doors that were already closed. <laughs> yeah, you guys were dealing with, like, a skinwalker, like, not skinwalker ranch, uh, skinwalker, I, this is more like, Oh, bad shit. Uh, this is this is very creepy pasta levels of Skinwalker. So uh, I don't, I don't want to give away all the details, but yes, a lot of that encounter was environmental. Uh, a very a vast. I wanted you guys to understand that in the setting you're in, and that's part of the reason why I was using environment in such a way, is like even the Samus pilot, because um, his he was getting electronics interference because of the Skinwalker, another one of their neat traits. Uh, but it also gave the point that when you guys were standing out there with your flashlights, you could only see about 100 feet, at best. Yeah. You guys had an extreme limited range. You're out in the middle of the dark. You're The only thing you have for safety is a crashed helicopter, and there's something out there hunting you. So it was that fear factor of, yeah, you could go out in the darkness, 
but the rest of the party may see you walk in the darkness and you'll never come back. And just screams. There, there might... No, well, maybe screams over the headset, but... Point remains. Point remains. And you also did this without removing our agency. You did this in a way that corralled us to the correct choice. Stay in, hunker down. I did I did feel a little railroady. But, but you did so in a way that at no point, because the players had the ultimate command, you know, our commanding officer character oh, yeah. could have made the order, hunt that thing down and kill it. Yeah, your CEO could have... prioritizing keeping her people alive. Yeah, if, if the CEO had decided to go out and get into a, a fucking firefight with a skinwalker, shit would have ended much differently. Right, but it was the player's control. She still had that power. She did not choose to. She chose to listen to the NPC when she said, I don't want to fight this thing. Yeah, the NPC she was laughing at when she first arrived. I'm not the one who's running around making demands and requests. But whatever, you know what? It, it's, it's stuff. Anyway, uh, we're, we're, we're lapsing into story time stuff with recent encounters and everything. And I believe, oh yes we are. We are at the one hour mark. Wow, nice. Yeah. It just goes to show what a little bit of effort will do, huh? Absolutely. And again, like I said, this is one of the things that's rarely talked about. And it's kind of nice to just jump into it and actually talk about this little bit of spicy salsa to add to our nachos. Right. I, You know, I think that environment is actually discussed more for the subject of horror than anything else in gaming. Yeah, I, I've not... And yeah, like when I was thinking about this topic, I've never seen a YouTube channel actually talk about environment straight up. Yeah. You know, they usually talk about rules, logistics, character classes, rules calls, but just not the little storytelling things that actually make the game pop. Right. So. Uh, and this can be applied to world building, too. Like, there's a river nearby town. They've got a, and a rope maker, right? So they've got, like, a windmill to help spin the flax in the string that, they, that the rope maker then just does his thing with. And now you've got, like, three businesses from one feature. Absolutely. It's, well, it's all in how they're logicalized. It's, yeah. Anyway, uh, we're at the one-hour mark, and I'm going into skinwalker mode. <laughs> Actually, the only one here who... Actually, uh, for my closing thoughts. All right. For my closing thoughts, one thing actually, and Skinwalker does remind me of this, and it it kind of doubles down into encounters with this, like said, Skinwalker, and environment. When you bring these things into game, it's kind of like a joke. The more you have to explain it, the less impact it has. So if you're doing something sort of environmental thing, um, for example, like a volcano explodes and the characters are caught in the shock wave you know even at the ass end of it they just get knocked on their ass they're safe but they just get knocked on their ass most of the people won't understand what it feels like to be caught in such a shock wave and so the impact of the statement won't hit them um it's like the, the scary factor of the skinwalker when i brought that in only the scout in the party out of character, knows how maliciously dangerous a skinwalker is other than myself. The rest of you guys were a little bit blasé about it. But at the same time... But you're not familiar with skinwalker lore. 
So my closing thoughts is that when you do add the spice of environment or the spice of weather or, or any of that, try to keep it in a level that your players personally understand and it'll have more impact. So when you describe the flavor or smell of something on the air or the way the weather is acting weird, if they personally out of character don't have uh, the backing the experience the experience with it your verbal punch will have a lot less impact on both the player and the character so that's my closing thought is try to keep it relevant to your player group I think my closing thoughts will be use environment with tact it is not right for all game sessions it is not right for all circumstances but it is a little effort that can go a long way with negligible effort on your part. You can get some pretty decent returns for your player investment if you use it smartly, I'll say. All right. Well, that's me for this week. I'm going back to my crypt. Game yeah. Goblin out. <laughs> Kazakh comes back to this guy's.